They're organized. Well, leave the ants alone. They need to eat. It's just remarkable what they do. They leave behind invisible pheromone trails and somehow convey in those pheromones whether their venture out of the nest was successful so all of the others can follow them. Oh, do they really? Yeah. They also release a different pheromone when they die, which tells all of the others to be on high alert. Yeah, well, I suppose, like, people do that just by screaming. Yeah, we do. And ants have two stomachs, a regular stomach and a social stomach. They can feed each other food from their social stomachs through a process called trophallaxis. Huh. I have a social stomach, actually. I eat way more food when I'm with other people. When organisms work together to such a massive extent, like ants and wasps and bees, it's called eusociality. You means good. Hmm. You socialism. Socialism for you. What? Look, are you going to poison the ants or not? Maybe we can leave them. We could move. There's there's loads of them and only two of us. I mean, I think it's only fair. I'm going to punch you in your social stomach in a second. <laughs> Genuinely a conversation we have had living together. <laughs> Minus the punching me in the social Minus stomach. Minus the punching you in the social stomach. But I remember, I genuinely remember living with you and there was like an ant trail and you just went on this uh, like 20 minute tangent about the incredible ecosystem that ants create. And I'm like, uh, yeah, but they're in my goddamn room. <laughs> <laughs> Can we admire them outside yes. where they belong? Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the Get Commanded podcast by the Greensboro Commander community. It's the GCP by the GCC and POG, Palms Off Gaming, sponsor of this podcast. We're all uniting forces to help you to have better games of Commander. I'm your host, Walt. And hello, Commander players. I'm your other host, James. And I just wanted to say at the top of this episode, as I do in every episode, Mm -hmm. if you like what we are doing, wonderful listener that I'm beaming into your ear or your car speakers, wherever I'm being played from. Or your ear and... And your car speakers. That would be... Oh, that's normal. I mean, that's normal. No, that's if normal. you're listening to us in your car, I imagine they're coming out of car speakers and into their ears. No, it could be it could be vibrations through the steering wheel. Anyway, if wheel. you're not confused by how podcasts work, <laughs> um, like Walt is, and you support what we're doing and you want to make sure that the Get Commanded podcast is successful, getting to more people, becoming better, doing more stuff, the best way to do it is signing up to our Patreon. It's definitely the best way to support our content. Um, you can check us out at patreon.com slash getcommandedpodcast, and I believe we're actually giving it a bit of a refresh. Pretty yeah, soon. might be might be a new tier on the way, so yes. keep an eye out for that one, and um, and a few little little shufflings around. So worth worth having a look if you if you've already looked before. It might be slightly different next time you have a have a have a look. More benefits for you. Yeah, for <laughs> you. That's exactly right. Well, I can see the green light blinking over there, so I reckon we must have an incoming transmission from the deep depths of the galaxy from the space commanders. It's time to get commanded. Many Commander players amass enormous collections of cards with little to no method for organizing them. Your collection should be logically and sustainably ordered, such that finding cards for your Commander decks is straightforward and immediate. 
I have a feeling they have a security camera in my office. <laughs> you um, reckon? I have a huge pile of cards that need oh. to be organized right now on my desk. Well, and it's not like me to have a massive pile like that, but I just have not, with moving and having yep. a new job, I've not had the time to organize, but I've still been playing pre-releases and limited mm. and stuff. So, oops. <laughs> well, I mean, spoiler alert, but um, I, I reckon not only are they aware of, of your desk, I reckon they're aware of the desks of all of you out there, you filthy heathens with your unsorted cards. No, I'm not. Yeah. Well, if, they, they, if they're getting <laughs> mad at me, I've been to some of our listeners' like offices and seen their spaces where they keep their collections my word some of you guys have like mountains of cards and even like in our discord server we get like photos of people sharing like new bling Mm. so they'll they'll hold the phone the phone to the card that they're trying to show off but in the background in the blurry background (laughs) you'll see this pile of cards that are toppling like the leaning tower of pisa those who live in glass houses should not throw stones um (laughs) (laughs) look we all well, most of us probably have lots of cards, right? We play mm. a card game. Most of them are probably in decks. Maybe not most of them. <laughs> uh, I know a lot of people who have a lot of cards that they have not organized. I've also personally helped um, you to Many organize times. your collection a couple of times. Yeah. Um, we've done the big, you know, pull out all the cards. How are we going to sort them? Okay, let's do it. Yep. Throw away a bunch or donate a bunch to the game Order store. Order a pizza, put a good TV show on yeah. in the background, some music, something like that. I actually love organizing cards, so I'm really glad that the the Space Commanders wanted me to, to have a look at this one. I think you are definitely going to lead this episode purely because you are an absolute neat freak in every sense of the word. Um, <laughs> it's true. You're, like, your desktop is so scrutinizingly organized, let alone that I'm literally looking at a collection right now. It's like, mm. in boxes, there is probably like, I reckon, 20 cards not in a box, and I bet you any amount of money that they're going in a deck soon. Am I right? You're right. Yeah, I thought so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, I'm probably going to get on the soapbox on this one. It's something I feel really strongly about. I reckon, look, everyone should have a system, I think, is, mm. the, is the main thing. Um, we're going to cover sort of definitely the system that I use, which is I know for a fact is very similar to the one that you use. Yeah, well, I kind of, I remember way back in the day when we were like actually living together, not in the weird skit universe that we <laughs> formed. Um, yes. that I remember I had a lot of cards and as I was collecting all these cards, I did form this kind of Wooberg based organization system. Yeah, you had like sort of a box for white, a box for blue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and then I remember when you started like building more decks and disassembling them because realistically you had, I actually remember the birth of your organization do you remember this you had when i first moved in with you you had an ipad box like an old <laughs> like it was probably like an ipad generation two or I think, something like i think that. it was the first generation ipad first actually. gen ipad box yeah. this is like going back some and waltz cards i genuinely kid you not were rubber band lock in <laughs> like they were still like relatively organized in the old pre-constructed decks that they came in random lands sorted them amongst uh... them but they were just sat in this ipad box without the without because the cards didn't fit perfectly it was just no lid it was no, just like being just used open as a iPad tray box. so like the one appeal of putting cards in a box is they don't get dust all over them and I was like nah nah just sat on a shelf can't fit 
It was, however, when I came in for that inspection for that share house. That's it how was you like them. it was the selling point. I was like, "Oh, these guys are nerds. That's great. I can live <laughs> with these guys." Yeah, that was the it was the pile of magic cards you could yep. see and the D and D books just underneath those. Yeah, yep. yep, nerds all oh, that's good all around. <laughs> but look, the, yes, we have since developed since then since the iPad yeah. box. I have a, a system now that I use. I'm not gonna tell you that it's perfect. I think it's pretty good. Um, you should find a system that works for you, and we're gonna suggest a few different systems. We're also mm. gonna tell you about a couple of systems that we don't really recommend so highly, just for the pure like amount of time that it requires yeah. and how hard it is to find cards for your decks. So the main focus of the way we're gonna organize is going to be like assuming that your collection exists so that when you're building a deck or looking for cards for a deck, you can find them as quickly as possible. Yeah. So as opposed to like, you know, obviously a bi binders are great, but they're mostly for trading and for um, like showing off cards, you know, like showing your, your play set of that amazing card that you love or yeah. showing your, your huge collection of cards from specifically Strixhaven or something. That's what the binder's for. I think there's like two main approaches you could possibly take to organizing your collection. And one is a functional way of organizing your collection, which mm. I think me and you kind of use a lot more often. Yes. We're, we're very like proactive in making sure that the cards we potentially will need to go get in the future are available to us. But then there, I know there are a lot of you that do listen to this podcast that are big on collecting, which just may not actually want to put the cards that they collect in decks. Mm. So there may be a whole nother suite of organization tactics out there for you. And you might already have one that works. And honestly, we're going to focus a lot on the functionality of yeah. our organization. But if you're a person that is a big collector, I'm actually really interested to hear from you in our discord, how you organize. Is it based on set? Is it based on the like, color system that we're mm. using or is it based on like the play set of cards that won you a gp way back in the day or yeah. like you know whatever like i'm really curious to know how collectors organize but yeah to, to preface we're gonna go down the more functional route of organizing because that's what walt and i we're functioning commander players we actually play the game we're building <laughs> decks um, wow, not to say out. collectors don't i'm saying like <laughs> Well, that's that's what our focus is in this yeah, podcast. Definitely, definitely. Well, the first question we should really ask is why organize our cards? It seems kind of obvious, but when you do not have a system for organizing your cards and they kind of sit haphazardly in various boxes, um, you lose track of where your cards are. Mm. And it means that when we do go to build our commander decks, this is the main, main issue that we have is we're sort of like, oh, you know, I'm building a blue white deck and I know I owned a hallowed fountain, the Shockland. I don't know where it is. You shouldn't have that problem. Shocklands are amazing cards that you should be putting in your decks if you own them, if you only care about power. You should know where they are. Yes, <laughs> and in the same vein, like if, you know, you wouldn't, for example, put a $20 note in your biscuit tin because that's where it makes sense to put it at yeah. the time. And then you go, oh, I want to go get some takeout lunch today. Where did I put that $20 note? Yeah. It should be in your wallet. That's where you should find the $20 note. Go get that $20 note and then spend it just like the way you would be putting a $20 shock land in some <laughs> random box. Yeah. Okay, point made. <laughs> yes, point made, point made. So look, it's important to organize so we can build our decks so we can not waste all of our time searching for cards when really like the deck building is to supplement the fact that we play the game, right? Yes. That's the, that's the main thing we want to do. So we want to get there as fast as we can. So the first question we should ask when we're organizing is where are we going to put the cards once they are organized? Um, mm. There's only real 
really, in my opinion, three places people store their cards. Sure. Um, the, the first one is kind of obvious. In your decks. <laughs> yeah, 100%. That is, that is a place that your cards exist. It's a place that, that a lot of them are going to stay. If you have a command, yeah. commander deck that you really love, it's just going to live there, right? That's I, a new home. I even know people that take this kind of strategy to the next level and they only buy like one copy of really expensive cards. Like I'm, I'm talking like really expensive cards, whether it's like a Wheel of Misfortune, a Wheel of Fortune yep. or a Jewel Land or something like that, but they want to play it in multiple decks. <laughs> they keep it in a deck and they switch it out when they're like, oh, I'm going to play... You know, I'm playing my Niv-Mizzet CDH deck. I've got a Volcanic Island in. All right, now I'm going to switch to my high-powered Brutaclad deck. Yep. I'll take my Volcanic Island out of Niv-Mizzet and put it in Brutaclad for this game. Wow. So they, instead of having multiple copies, and you could do this by printing proxies or yeah. whatever, but they like the real version of the card, which, to be fair, I'm very... I respect that a lot. Yeah, I like the real oh, versions of the cards. We love the physical feel um, of them. But yeah, they're using this in-deck collection to be able to know where their copies of certain really expensive cards are so they don't have to purchase more. Wow. It's a very efficient way of like, making sure you don't spend a billion dollars. Yeah, it's like a whole system in and of itself. It reminds yeah. me of a, a CDH player I saw in a recent game on YouTube who had um, this exact system, basically, but he had on the sleeve of each card, he had a bunch of coloured dots which corresponded to each of his CEDH decks. So, like, he had a yellow dot and a black dot and a red dot and a brown dot and an orange dot, like, on, like, his Wheel of Fortune. Because he owns, like, 12 CDH decks, but he doesn't ha- he doesn't like proxying. So uh, yeah, when he go. So, when he's, like, he's like, oh, I'm going to play my, I don't know, my Godo deck. He's like, okay, find all the red dots on all my cards. I'm, assuming the, I'm assuming the dot is on the front face of the card, not on the back, because that would be card marking. Oh, no, it's yeah, the okay, front. Cool, it's 100% yeah. the front. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, yes, the, the main place your cards are going to live, or the probably the most important, is in your decks. So, this is... The other two places are, yes, the, for organizing our collection. The storage. Storage, yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, there's the binder is probably a, a really obvious one. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the binder, the main purpose of the binder is for trading, I would say, with a secondary caveat of also storing cards that you just keep it, keeping for memento's sake. So whether it's that you just like to show them off, like you've got a playset of a card that you really love, or yeah, like I was saying, you know, you own every copy one of every card in Strixhaven and you want to show off your whole set, mm. binders are perfect for that. They they yeah. have a really clear progression. They display the front face of every card. They're also really good for trading. Yes. Which is like another kind of huge facet of our trading card game yes. that we play. Um, if you're wanting to trade your collection to get better cards or upgrade or get specific cards for your decks, mm. then a binder is typically referred to as a trade binder yes. in most game stores because when you go to the store... If you were to bring a big bulky box, which we might talk about in a second, Mm. it's like, it's a lot harder to go through that than opening a binder and flicking through it like a catalog in a, in a shop where you can go, Oh, I would really like this card. And you can go, yeah, sure. That's like $20 worth of value. Do you mind if I have a look at your binder? Mm. And it's very efficient. The other really big upside to this, as opposed to the box is that they're much safer so, for mm. expensive cards, they are going to be... You should, by the way, sleeve a card before you put it in a binder. Then it's, like, super, super secure. Yeah. But, um, yes, binders are designed with that in mind. They're supposed to keep the card secure. 
um, and behind that beautiful plastic screen so they can't get scratches on them and that kind of thing. Usually, Whereas, yeah, some the... good quality ones will have like zips around them as well so yes. they don't like open randomly and all yes, that kind of stuff. Yes, totally. Yeah. Um, so yes, the third place that your cards are likely to go, um, you, we've just alluded to, which is the sort of bulk boxes. Mm. Um, these take various different forms. A lot of game stores sell those kind of long thin boxes they're like almost exactly the height and width of a magic card sort of sitting on its side yeah um and then you can just kind of stack them all the way along this box sometimes they're like you know a foot a long sometimes cards. like two feet long like, yeah some, a lot of cards will go in there yeah some of them are like a thousand cards but you can get like trays of them which yes. are like you know six boxes in one and then you can sort of pull out the trays one yeah by one. exactly yeah. they're pretty good and like honestly game stores sell these for like a dollar or two dollars a pop yeah so ask you because they're probably storing a lot of their cards in this because i know like, a lot of game stores you know like our local game stores sell singles as most do mm. they got to store them somewhere too you can just ask the person behind the counter at your local game store hey do you have any storage boxes mm. i could buy yeah and if if you like the sound of you know keeping a bulk of your collection and putting them in bulk boxes they're definitely behind the counter at your store. Yeah, absolutely. I think bulk boxes are probably going to form the main part of the um, where we're going to be organizing cards for in this episode, which is for deck building, right? So the binder, like we said, is great for trades, great for showing off cards, not so great necessarily for building a deck as opposed to a bulk box where you can, and it's a bit of a spoiler, but you know, if you have a box full of blue cards and you're mm. building a blue commander deck, you can just pull out that box and that's got all your blue cards in them. Um, so yes, most of our collection in terms of this episode and putting them in places where they make sense is going to be into those bulk boxes. Um, so before we get to how we're going to organize into those bulk boxes, uh, I thought we should outline a couple of ways of organizing that we don't recommend. Again, this is specifically for organizing your collection for building decks. For functionality. Functionality, purposes. yes. Yeah. The functionality of deck building. Um, and the first one is organizing by set. Um, I know a lot of people have really like fond sort of attachments to particular sets, and that's totally fine. And again, these are only suggestions. But keep in mind that we play a format, and most formats are like this. In fact, all of them, I believe, where any printing of a card is legal if the card itself is legal. Yeah, so let's it, say you play, even if you play modern and you don't play commander um, and you want to put your lightning bolt in a deck, you can play, yeah, you could play like Corset 2011 lightning bolt. You could also play an alpha lightning bolt if you really, really wanted to. You if could you play, want to be a baller. <laughs> yeah. Um, you can play any printing of lightning bolt that is, um, you know, magic legal. Like it's been printed by yes. Wizards of the Coast. And that is legal in your modern um, modern deck because it's the card itself is legal. So a lot of people when they talk about like sorting by set are like, oh, then I can easily find cards for modern or easily find cards for standard. And it's like, that's great. But, you know, you might have like five copies of Muldrifter but they might all be from different sets. So now yep. when you're looking for Muldrifter and you're like, man, I need that playset of Muldrifters, you're like, okay, I'll check my um, Lorwyn box and then I'll check my Corset 2011. Like, you know, that, that's not very <laughs> intuitive to building a deck. Yeah, that's totally fair. I also think that there is a little bit of value by organizing by set that I don't want to kind of undermine because we did say that we're organizing for purpose and yes. we're organizing for functionality and for Commander, 100%. However, Cube... Um, is a really interesting mm. um, format that I know a lot of people organize by set. So if you're going to jump in the Discord and say, no, but if I want to build a Kamigawa block set or whatever <laughs> like that, I need to be able to jump into my... I need, need to find the sets, then by all means, do that. But yes. as a reminder, this is a Commander podcast. Yes. <laughs> For Commander, it's not something that's going to affect you very often. Yeah. Um, and speaking of Commander, 
In terms of looking for those multiple printings of cards, don't forget we have cards like Solemn Simulacrum, which have been printed like 80 times yeah. in different products. So if you're going to try and organize into like, you know, Commander 2011, Commander 2012, Commander 2013, guess what? There's a Solemn Simulacrum in every single one of those boxes now. Correct. Also, there is a bit of value in organizing them all into the same place. So if all mm. of your... I, I really like having particular arts in decks. Like I try and like make sure that art fits fits thematically in the commander deck that I'm building. So when I go into a deck, let's say I'm running, um, I don't know, uh, what's a commander staple? A Swords to Plowshares, for sure. example. There's a couple of different arts of Swords to Plowshares, mm -hmm. and I will have a look at my copies of Swords to Plowshares and go, I want this one specifically for the deck. Yeah. Um, even stuff like, you know, I know you're a big fan of like old white border cards and, mm. you know, in certain decks. So if you're going down heavy on the white border stuff, you will have all of your rampant growths together, but you can find your whiteboarded rampant growth that you mm. really want to put in the deck. That's true. It does make that process faster as well. Um, the other sort of, so that was um, organizing by set. The other method we don't recommend quite so highly is um, using only binders. So this is sort of, if you were organizing your collection and when it got to the end, you're putting them all away rather than having a binder or, you know, a couple of binders or a few binders, and then some boxes, you just put them all in binders. Um, the main thing is this is going to cost you so much money. Yes. And I mean, a certain amount of money. And also the in terms of the amount of space that they're taking up, like yeah. a binder is not a very space efficient way of storing your cards. Well, like I said before, like one of those like cardboard boxes can sometimes, like the really, really basic ones can fit like a thousand plus cards. Yeah. You, a binder you're not going to find a binder that can do that. 360 is yeah. like a good kind of, like big, big binders will fit like 500 maybe. Yeah. But like a, they're big, big binders. Very big they're binders. They're huge. Yeah. Also, this is just really inefficient. If you go to like, if you start wanting to build your deck, like, and remember, we're going down this functionality route. Mm. If you sit down at your, you know, at your dining table or your office desk or whatever it might be where you build your commander decks and you need to open up your collection, instead of putting like two boxes next to you where you can like pull a couple of cards out, fan through them, put them back in the box, you now have to open a massive book. Like mm. I'm talking, you know, Oxford Dictionary in the library <laughs> style. Massive. When you turn the page, it goes for douche when you and it lands on the actual <laughs> other side of the table, and then have to page through that. It is really inefficient. Yeah, really inefficient. It's going to take you so much more time, definitely. Um, okay, that's all of the the sort of preamble stuff out of the way. So let's say we're we're ready to organize now. Okay, we've got our boxes ready. Maybe we've got a binder for the for the trades that we want to set aside as well, mm -hmm. and we've got you know a huge pile or a huge box of unsorted cards that we need to go through. James's desk right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, how are we going to organize the cards? Well, we've kind of spoiled it already, but. What's one of the most crucial aspects of the format that we play of Commander? Color identity. Color identity. If you're playing a white deck, you can only play cards that are in your Commander's color identity. Cards that produce white or have white pips on them, that kind mm -hmm. of thing. So, the most logical way to organize our collection for building decks for Commander is by color identity. So, um... We pull out all of our cards and we're sorting them. How are we going to sort them? We're going to put them into Wooburg order. White, blue, black, red, green by um, colour. Each yep. card is going to go into one of those piles. We're also going to have a multicoloured pile. So this is a pile that will just have all the multicoloured cards. We can organise them by colour internally later. Yeah, so like to. once you've got that pile, you can then individually go into that pile and group them into the 10 two-color pairings. Yep. And then the, the however many three-color pairings there are, I think mm. there's also... I don't know how many. There's a few. <laughs> Naya and Grixis and all that yes. stuff. I, how many? I don't know. 
I don't okay, know. Check EDH going. rack. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. So those are the piles. We've got white, blue, black, red, green, multicolored, um, colorless. Uh, so most of this is going to be artifacts, obviously, yeah. here. Um, Unless you're organizing Zendikar. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like from way back in the day. That's Lots true. of old drowsies. Um, this one's a little bit iffy where it's not... Not all artifacts are going to go in here, in my opinion. Mm. It's actually going to be more logical to do this by color identity still. So, for instance, like, yes, like Marble Diamond. This is the two-mana rock that enters tapped, taps for white. Mm. I actually think that's better off going in your white pile because you can only play that in white color identity decks. And likewise for a card like, like Timeless Lotus, mm. which taps for Wooberg colors... You know, it is colorless itself, the card, but in terms of its color identity, it's five colors. So you should probably put that with the five color cards. Yeah, I differ slightly here. Sure. I generally put color producing mana rocks, like, you know, with their, you know, color identity. So like Marble Diamond is definitely going to go on a white commander deck. Yep. But for mana rocks that can produce any color, I'll generally put them in colorless. That's because fair. if I'm building my blue commander deck, I can also get out my... Oh. Artifacts, so then I can see even if it taps for a mana of any color, it's not five color. It's also it could just be blue. Yes, I you know see what, what you mean. mean. Yeah. yeah, like like sort of your arcane signet kind yeah, of thing. 100%, like, yeah, hundred percent. Theoretically, it's a five color rock, but also you could play that in your mono blue deck. And yeah, most people do. Yes, a lot of people <laughs> will. That's a good point. Yeah, I like that a lot. Um, okay, so that's that's pretty organized already. So that to be honest, I think that's a good first pass. Yeah. Um, and when you do this first section, like genuinely, it's really kind of cathartic to do. Grab that pile of cards that are, are on my desk specifically. Please go through them. Um, and <laughs> you can literally on your playmat, I generally organize them in Wooberg order. So yep. I'll have my, like when I say Wooberg in the color pile, do it in a big circle. Oh, you do. And I'll, it's quite I'll satisfying put, to look at actually. Yeah. So I organize it. I put the white ones at the top. I put the blue ones in the top right hand corner. Um, the black ones in the bottom right hand corner and go round in the circle and as I'm organizing I can kind of see these piles form That's fine. and I yeah it's it's really satisfying and then I usually put like a pile of colorless at the top multicolored in the yes. other side um there's a couple of other piles I just realized like we forgot to mention which is lands should yes. definitely be pulled aside here you just have a, a whole pile of lands we'll go into how to sort those specifically and also tokens are going to mm. be another one that we're going to pull out um uh, the other one that is worth mentioning here, because it, they do technically fall into multiple piles, modal double face cards, mm. um, specifically the ones from, for instance, like Zendikar Rising, uh, like the ones that have a spell on one side and a land on the back. Again, by color identity, a card like Malachi Rebirth, this is a black card. Correct. I would just put it in your black spells. Don't put it with your black lands. I 100% agree. Also, this kind of jogs your memory when you're building your deck and when you're going through the cards that you have in your collection while you're building to include these MDFCs. Yeah. Because like, if I come across a Shatter Skull smashing in red and I've got one in my collection, I'm like... Yeah, that's going in. Yeah. <laughs> 100% that's going in. It should prompt I'm you. Not even in like a really damaged base deck, but this is a removal spell with a land on the yes. back. <laughs> We've talked so much about how much we adore these cards. Yeah. You should be playing more of them than you are, for sure. Um, the other thing we're going to do next. So that's a, that's our piles. White, blue, black, red, green, multicolored, colorless, lands, tokens. It sounds like mm -hmm. a lot. When you're organizing, it becomes very, very quick to put cards into those piles. Next, we're going to separate, and this is going to make a big difference for finding cards quickly later. Um, separate each of those piles, specifically the colored piles, so we're not touching lands or tokens yet. Actually, do this for tokens as well. God, it's getting confusing. Um, 
creatures and non-creature spells. Right, yes. This is going to do a really good thing. Um, the thing you realise about doing this is that about half of all the cards they print in Magic are creatures. Yeah. So this very quickly just segments each colour super obviously. Like, it's not um, hard to get your head around. Into creature, non-creature. Yeah, this is actually... I mean, I have now gotten into a habit when I'm organising the bulk of my collection that I can pile the white cards together but start the piles of creature and non-creature oh, while you do I'm shifting in the first pass in the first still. pass through yeah just wow. because that way it kind of already takes care of that split but yeah, yeah. like Walt said you realize so many creatures exist in Magic the Gathering mm. and non-creature and that that includes all the planeswalkers all the artifacts that are in your color identity like um, you know the artifacts that are specific in like that have a blue pip for example yeah. that is a non-creature in blue um the instance the sorceries the enchantments planeswalkers mm. there's like so many non-creature different types but in the end it's about 50 50 on yeah. creatures and it's also gonna you know it's very intuitive split right like we sort of know when mm. something is a creature and when it's not so it's not going to be difficult to go like, oh preordain oh that's a one mana sorcery that's yeah. going to be with my non-creature stuff hot tip if you want to go through them really really quickly turn when you've got your cards in your hand turn them upside down so the power and toughness is in the top left hand corner and as you fan through the cards you can very quickly see if something has a power wow, and toughness wow good one it is a very good tip however with Kamigawa the recent um, set had a lot of vehicles in it uh, this is a bit of a bitch to work uh, around because it's still got the power and toughness yes. in the top corner but vehicles yeah. are so weird they're technically non-creature spells, but they are so like creatures in the well, way Well, the card looks them. like a creature. They have a power yeah. and toughness box. So, so strange. But yeah, hot tip. Use the power and toughness box as your quick visual cue of like, oh, this is a creature. This is an instant. This is a source. Yep. yep. I like that a lot. So yes, that's that's our further segmentation. Creature, non-creature in each of those colors and in the tokens. Um, and then we're going to organize our lands. Uh, so lands, this is how I do it. And in my opinion, it makes a lot of sense. I have all the basic lands in one big chunk in one of my boxes by Wooburg Order. So Me too. white, blue, black, red, green. Yep. Um, can also be used for draft then. Yes. Yeah, Handy. you can just pull out a uh, chunk of them and you're good to yep. go. Um, then I have uh, in Wooburg Order one color utility lands. So like the cycling lands, the ones mm. that are, you know, like... Um, or the hideaway lands. Yeah, the hideaway yep. lands. So any of these lands that produce only one color... Um, but are utilities. And they're not basic, but they only produce one color. I have them in Wooburg order again. So yeah. white, blue, black, red, green. Um, then I will have like fetch lands, like Evolving Wilds, Terramorphic Expanse, that kind of thing that don't have a color identity. So the kind of colorless lands. Yeah. I'll also have colorless lands right there. And then I will go two color lands in the, the color pairing order, then three color lands, and then I go rainbow lands, like Command Tower, Path of Ancestry, Exotic Orchard, lands that can produce a mana of any color, yeah. theoretically. Um, yeah, and that's that's how I would do the lands, and I'll go into in a little bit why that'll be so helpful later when we're building a deck, but that's, yeah, pretty similar to how we organize the rest of our collection, but you just do sort of a, a smaller version of it for your lands. Yeah, I think that um, while when you're done with all of these, like, big things, I think... There's like a lot of different steps you need to go through that yeah. we're going to kind of like we've already kind of outlined. So I reckon it's pretty like let's try and break it down very simply. Sure. Step. I reckon we can break this down into like three or four steps. Yep. All right. Let's do it. So we've got our big pile of cards in mm -hmm. front of us on the desk. We're going to organize them. So uh, separate them all out by color. So white, blue, black, red, green, multicolored, 
colorless, and then we also are putting aside lands and tokens. That's mm -hmm. the first step. That one's done. I reckon step two would be then make sure that those piles be split into creature and non-creature. Yes. Um, and then when you get to your lands for this section, do it via color identity. Yep. Because that's that's pretty easy. Yep. That's... Put them away is kind of the third step. Put the cards wherever you're going to keep them. That's... So three steps, but step three is just like put them on a shelf. <laughs> yeah, step three is you're done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's really not that complex when you break it down like that. Now, I want to outline the, the, the benefit of organizing in this way by having like a little bit of a... Like a like an imagined scenario, like a thought experiment. Sure. Okay, so let's say uh, that me and you, or one of us, whoever, we're gonna build a mono blue spellslinger deck. So probably me. Yeah, probably. <laughs> high chance. High, high chance. So we have our collection all organized in this way. We're building a mono blue deck. Uh, we know it's gonna be spellslinger. If our our collection is organized the way that we've just outlined, there are only four places we need to go to find the cards for this deck, right? To build the entire deck. To we build the need entire to touch deck. any other boxes. Yep. So we're going to go to our uh, blue color identity creatures, mm -hmm. our blue color identity non-creatures. Mm -hmm. We're going to go in probably a different box, the artifacts and colorless stuff mm -hmm. that we might want to play. And then we're going to look at blue non-basic lands and I suppose fetches. If, if you, you want, want to thin the deck. If you want to yeah. thin the deck or you had some sort of benefit yeah. to playing fetches. But that's it. Yes. That that's is... our whole deck in four places. Yeah. And in most situations, I found that when I was organizing creature, non-creature, both of the, you know, the blue creatures and the blue non-creatures would actually go in the same box, but they'd have a divider in them. Yes. So realistically, it's like three boxes that yeah. I would be grabbing. Maybe two, really. Yeah. Like, yeah. Because lands and, you know, they might, could be, might, have might a be divider artifacts in or something. Yeah. yeah and, but like, in the same vein, let's say we were, you know, that I started building this mono blue deck and I found a better is it commander that does it just slightly better and I wanted to build red blue. Mm. I now just need to go and get, while I'm building this deck, I just need to go get my red creatures and non-creatures yep. and then I need to get the multicolored box and go to specifically to the section of is it colored cards. Yep. And then maybe look at the blue red lands if you want yeah. to as well. But that's, again, very few steps given what our collection might have looked like before being a huge pile of unsorted cards. And also how much more efficient is it? I used to hate when I would build decks. Like I remember like really way back early on when I used to just buy booster boxes and just would have like a random booster box from maybe like Armand just sat there unorganized it like opened all the packs but the cards were just sat in the old box mm. and I'd be building like a red green deck and I'd be fanning through the cards I'd be like I don't need any of these white cards I'm wasting my time looking yeah. at them I'm even reading them it's kind of irritating and it's it is basically a waste of your time yeah. to be honest um now, I will say that me and James, relatively speaking to a lot of you people out there, probably have, and me especially, quite small collections mm. in the grand scheme of things. So that amount of segmentation we've just done, I think that's a good baseline, especially if you have a smaller collection. That's probably going to be enough. But if you own a really large collection, you may want to segment it a little bit further. Do it based yeah. on what makes the most sense to you. Yes. So um, I know some people who have then, once they have, you know, blue creatures, blue non-creatures, they've gone alphabetical order. Good. That's a lot of work, it's but you can do it. It's a lot of work, but that means, you know, when you go, oh, I'm looking for preordain, you go, okay, cool. Um, blue non-creatures go to P, there's preordain. Like yeah. that's, that's pretty intuitive. 
Um, I think mana value makes the most sense to me. Yes, I think especially when you're building commander decks, you can almost identify your curve through knowing your collection so well. You're like, right, now that I'm in the seven drop section, what cards am I looking for in here that really work for my deck specifically? Mm. I still think functionally, this is a really functional way of building your collection out. Yes, definitely. Um, I will say that my collection actually is segmented a bit further. I don't do mana value or alphabetical order. Um, And this is just an example of how you can customize this method based on what makes the most sense to you. Um, I play a lot of pauper. Uh, as we've talked about a few times on on this show. Mm. Um, and so my creature non-creatures in each of those sections is actually separated by pauper legality. Yeah. So I have commons and cards that have been printed at common in one section towards the back. And at the front, I have all the cards that are, you know, mythic rares, rares, that are cards that are not legal in pauper. Um, so if I'm building a pauper deck, I know exactly which part of each box I can go to, to to search for cards. And I think this is something to take into account as well. And I know I did allude to it at the start of the episode, but if you play other formats than Commander, mm. maybe have a think of how you can segment down further into that specific format. Yeah. Um, a lot of Commander players generally play longer Eternal formats. I know a lot of Commander players love Pauper at the moment. I love Pauper as well. But maybe you're playing Modern, or even if you're building a cube... Think about how you're organizing that cube specifically. You know, think about when you're organizing your collection, you might want to have specific lore categorization. Mm. So if like if you're building like a Ravnica block cube, maybe go through your collection and build like a separate block, a bulk where it's all your Ravnica cards or something yeah, like that. Absolutely. And um, there's also a bunch of digital um, collection trackers out there like Mana Box, Dragon Shield, um, Moxfield have a collection feature now that's also good. Super handy. Um, really great for those massive collections and and, and having a digital way of, of knowing what all the cards are. It is a lot of work, but it, it pays dividends. It does. But uh, and this is the the soapboxy part of the episode. Mm. We've covered all the, the sorting your cards. Um, I'd like to get on my soapbox a bit for the second half, right. James. Uh, in my opinion, the absolute best way for you to find your cards more quickly is to own way less of them. Screw you. Don't touch my cards. <laughs> <laughs> way less. So you're about to tell us to throw out all our cards. Yes, and I believe the name of this episode is likely to be Throw Away All Your Cards. So I apologize if you've had to wait this long for for this part of the episode. You're going to have to wait a little bit longer because it's time for us to take a thrifty interlude. Hell yeah. (laughs) I love the synchronicity we're we're forming on these ones. Maybe the the next episode we can just say everything together at the same time. Just, yeah. We are Walt and James. James Welcome to the Get Get Commanded Commanded Podcast. All right, well, look, we've got a lot left to cover, including Walt's complete and utter, uh, like, dramatically horrific statement that you should throw away your cards. Yeah. Um, And we're going to talk about, like, how to build a sustainable collection in the next half. But before we do that, we're going to hear a little something about a thrifty card, right? Yes, we are. And as is tradition, I will be bringing this card to life, in this case, in the form of a monologue. Uh, James, would you like to read the card that I'll be featuring this week? I would. It's a counterspell. I'm all, I'm all about these ones. You're more than happy to read it. Uh, the counterspell uh, is Familiar's Ruse. For blue and a blue, you get an instant that says, as an additional cost to cast this spell, return a creature you control to its owner's hand. Counter-target spell. <laughs> I'm a little trickster and I'm going to trick you. Oh, hello there. My name is Gideon Paul Jonathanson. I am an esteemed 
trained accountant with the Olsov Syndicate, and I am here to look after your financial bookkeeping. I am a responsible young human man, Tee, with a most prodigious reputation of orderly organization of numbers within spreadsheets, such that all of the columns may be multiplied most readily into logical and reasonable figures. My colleagues describe me as unstoppable, unflappable, vociferous, and psychologically indestructible. Now, if you would just hand over your books, I will ensure that the utmost care is taken in delivering to you a most prosperous financial year. Thank you. Tee, finally my plan may be made manifest. I have collected every single financial record from this entire district of Ravnica, and with them I will enact my most nefarious plot. I'm going to pour on the pages. Get <laughs> oh, there's, there's like, I, <laughs> you were right. <laughs> it's quite a, a strain on the vocal yeah, cords. That character. I'm, I'm also long. very happy to confirm with every listener that this is, um, this is now law on Ravnica. <laughs> this, um, uh, Gideon, Gideon Paul, Paul Jonathanson, Jonathanson is is a real character from the Orzov Syndicate. <laughs> My lord. <laughs> Uh, there's like very few thrifty interludes that I can like. Most of them I can like la- hold my laugh to the end. I had to like bite my I fist see for you that one. That was face that was horrific. I'm flattered. Uh, well, you can catch these posts in text form as I write them over on Discord, uh, and you can also follow us on TikTok at g underscore commander community to see these. Uh, some of them brought to life in video form. That is definitely one I would like to do as a video. So keep an I eye out for that. Would one. like full costume. For that as well. <laughs> Well, I would Full really like to see that. Psycho fairy costume. <laughs> Beautiful. Well, as promised, uh, I would like to get up on my soapbox. So, uh, I, should I just leave the room and no. come back when you're done? Because I, I, I know that you've, you're very passionate about this. Mm-hmm. So, where we last left off before the interlude, you yes. were saying that we should throw away a lot of our cards yes. to make it, quote, easier to organize. Yes. Was what you were saying. Yes. Um... I mean, I say throw away. I'll go into later what we'll actually do with your cards if you're going to get rid of them. I'm not saying put them in the bin. Uh, but yeah, basically my my thesis here is um, the best way to organize your cards in terms of the function, like we were talking about, of finding cards for your decks mm-hmm. easily um, without strain, you know, very little time commitment is to own way lesser than you currently Look, do. Look, I get the thesis statement, but I would like to hear your rationale before I decide to, like, get rid of however you want to tell me to get rid of them. All of these cards that I have paid for <laughs> in, in like, drafts or, you sure. know, pre-releases, I will give you the floor. All right, sounds good. Well, I'd like to start with a story. Oh. Uh, this is a bit of a parable that I heard a few years ago um, that I think sort of applies a little, little bit here. Uh, it's called online, at least, when I found it. It was called The Story of the Two Monks. So... There's one got prowess. One got... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you'd like to, you can think of them as being from a plane. Yeah, there's Monastery Mentor yeah. and um, <laughs> the Monastery Swift Spear. There you go. They're the two monks. <laughs> it's Tarkir all over again. Uh A senior monk and a junior monk were traveling together. At one point, they came to a river with a strong current. As the monks were preparing to cross the river, they saw a very young and beautiful woman also attempting to cross. The young woman asked if they could help her cross to the other side. The two monks glanced at one another because they had taken vows not to touch a woman. Then, without a word, 
The older monk picked up the woman, carried her across the river, placed her gently on the other side, and carried on his journey. The younger monk couldn't believe what had just happened. After rejoining his companion, he was speechless, and an hour passed without a word between them. Two more hours passed, then three. Finally, the younger monk could contain himself no longer and blurted out, As monks, we are not permitted a woman. How could you then carry that woman on your shoulders? The older monk looked at him and replied, Brother, I set her down on the other side of the river. Why are you still carrying her? Ooh, that's like wisdom incarnate. (laughs) I like that. So it's a story about the way that we carry negative ideas, right? It's it's, it's using the physical act of carrying someone as As a representation for like the fact that you, yeah, you carry this burden, this like, it's it's a metaphor of the burden of thoughts. And it's, it's, it's really quite, you know, the, the way it ends with the, why are you still carrying her? Cause the Mm. older monk has taken on this, this philosophy of once I've done something, I can put it down and let it go and move on. It's behind me. It's behind me. And I'm assuming you're about to say just like the chaff that sat on my desk. (laughs) Well, I, I would like to propose that, Having an enormous amount of cards is a burden. I don't mean just physically. I mean, like, in terms of what it brings you. It's often a burden that we carry willingly, right? Having loads and loads of cards. Mm. They're stories and they're games um, that we associate with those cards that imprint themselves in our memory. We recognize them. They're quite emotional. Yeah, they bring about fond memories. But the most of the cards that we have in our collection are not those cards with emotional and integral magic memories sure. imprinted on them. They are cards that fill our space and fill our time. Because that's the other thing we were talking about earlier, is when we're searching for cards, the reason we're organising is to l- reduce the amount of time we're spending looking for cards, reduce the amount of mental effort that's required mm. to find cards that we want to use. Um, and I would like to propose that having this enormous amount of cards gives you a mental burden of... Oh crap! I've got to find that preordain. How am I even going to start? Yeah. Well, look, I, I, I'm starting to see where you're coming from because I have had in the past a lot bigger collection than I've had than I currently have now, mm. and I used to go about building decks in a very like it, it would require a lot of mental energy for me to like get into the deck building headspace because I had to dive into like boxes and boxes and boxes and boxes and boxes of cards and that Mm. that's like a lot of stuff to sort through and yeah like they were like reasonably organized but like even the the organization of that many cards i had to flick through them all yeah and that was a lot and there was cards in there that like i I would never play and have never played because a while ago i did get rid of them all and Mm. it, it has made like the process of me looking through my collection of what i have got a lot easier to get into the deck building headspace. Well, this is the thing that it brings about, I think, is wouldn't you rather own a collection where you can point to almost every single card that you have and go, either this has tangible worth to me as a card in the game that I play, Mm -hmm. like in a deck I'm going to build or a deck that I'm currently workshopping or a deck I'm going to build in the future, like it's got tangible worth like that or it has a really integral memory 
um, tied to it. Wouldn't you rather every single one of your cards is one of those? Because this is the thing, when you have that mm. many of the cards, you're sort of thinning the, um, the emotional worth of the cards that you have by spreading them so widely. Yeah, I mean, look, like, I, I think there's a lot of philosophy that's come about in recent years, and I know that, like, I've been talking about philosophy a lot on this podcast yes. recently, but, like, minimalism has come mm. into fashion a lot about the way people live, and a lot of people are dedicating themselves to not having any, like, even photos on the wall or stuff like that, and, like, really cutting down on the stuff they really need and the stuff that they genuinely really give a fuck about like really have an emotional connection to yeah like all the trinkets that are on your shelf or on your windowsill like when was the last time you appreciated any of those mm. they can it can tie in these lessons that we learn from commando really do tie in with our lives yeah and I, I am gonna wrap it up towards the end with um with how i do tie this to to my specific life so keep an eye out for that one as well um so let's say we want to go through this process of reducing our collection a bit. And I think you should. Uh, how would you go about it? Well, when you're looking at a card, and you can do this probably while you're sorting or maybe afterwards, it's up to you. Um, I think you can honestly ask yourself three questions. And if the answer to all of them is no, you should probably get rid of them. So do you have an existing deck that you think you might put this card in in the very near future? So this is like, you know, I, I've got a Reese the Redeemed deck mm -hmm. and I have this card I'd really like to try. I haven't found the room for it yet, but I'm going to give it a go sometime soon. Like that's that's what I'm talking about. Not sure. like, oh, maybe someday I might need it in that card, that deck. Like specifically, I know the deck it's going to go in. It's going to happen soon. I will test it. Yeah, that's, that's question one. Question two. Are you planning to build a deck in the near future that will definitely play this card? Be realistic. So this is the other reason to keep a sure. keep a card, right? Like you, you don't have a deck for it yet, but you know, like you know, I'm going to build an Enchantress deck soon myself. Yep. I might have a bunch of enchantment cards in my in my collection and go like, oh, actually, I definitely want to try that one. You know, that's a reason to keep that card. Okay, this is uh, mm, this is maybe where I take slight disagreement with you. Sure. I, I get what you're saying about like, is this going to be playable in the future? I think that there's like a distinction between is this card playable and is it going to be used for a deck that you are planning to build mm. there's a distinction between those two for example enchantress cards like i at the moment have no interest in building an enchantress deck sure but i do have a setazan's champion which is like a staple in enchant trust decks. Yeah, this is the when enchantment ETBs you draw a card and put a plus one counter on him. Yeah, it's so good. It's a, it's a typical enchantress deck account, uh, card that when you you basically cantrip every enchantment. Yeah. So I have no interest in building an enchantment deck right now sure. at all. But I keep that card based on the fact that in the future. <laughs> I might want to build an enchantment-based deck. Interesting. Because I, that's an absolute staple, and plus, it's worth a few dollars. Well, if it's worth a few dollars, my argument would be you should put it in your binder. That's fair. And then get a card that you feel you're definitely going to use now. But anyway, that's it, fair. It, you could definitely temper the, all of this with your own specific way mm -hmm. of, of looking at it. But I'm, I'm trying to go to the extreme here to, sure. to shake you out of whatever a number of cards you're currently <laughs> keeping. I, if I can move you just a little bit closer to where I am, any I, of you out there on, on the sort of spectrum of throw away all your cards and keep all your cards, then yeah. I will consider it a success. I, I understand what you're saying because I think that more commander players are in the very extreme camp of I'm not throwing away oh, yeah. anything. Like, you know, they, they will have just cards lying around the house. Like, in the kitchen, there will be a stack of cards from oh, a yeah. draft they came home from the other night. Yes. Like, I think commander players do fall into that camp. So I'm glad you're taking this step, but I'm, 
I'm only trying to provide some no, like... No, no, no. Go, you, you go do on. you. Okay, what's, what's the third and final question you have to ask yourself then? Um, do you have a strong personal reason to keep a copy of this card? So I have a bunch right, of cards. Sure. I have actually a specific section of my box of cards that I keep. Do or really? Boxes that's just sentimental value. Because I, I played... I talked about this a couple of times on podcasts, but I started playing Magic... Um, when I was like five or six years old, yeah. uh, like gener- uh, seventh generation, seventh generation, seventh edition. Yeah, no, seventh, seventh edition. edition. Seventh edition roughly was when I was playing, um, started playing magic. I didn't know the rules very well. I was certainly not a good player. I didn't play stand. I didn't play anything. I just played kitchen table with my brother mostly. Unsleeved on the Unsleeved. driveway. All these cards are beat up. They're yeah. awful commons, but they have a lot of personal value to me because I remember the games I mm. played with them when I was a kid. I have a, you know, a good, if we're looking at a pile of cards, it's probably like 10 centimeters tall. I'd love to oh. go through them after this episode. Yeah, no, I'm happy cu- to. curious to see them. Happy to. So those are the three questions. Do you have an existing deck that the card's going to go in? Are you planning to build a deck in the near future that will use this card? Um, do you have a strong personal reason to keep copy of the card? If sure. the answer to all three of those is no, in my opinion, you should get rid of the card. Um, but like, let's say, worst case scenario, you get rid of a card. Like, let's say it's a Testament Champion, right? Sure. For the sake of argument, let's say you traded that card away. Mm-hmm. Um, and later down the track, you need it for a deck. You decide, I'm going to build an Enchantress deck. I'm going to build, like, the Sultai Frog Enchantress deck. It's <laughs> K-, K me. Yeah, you know? that's such a cool deck. I um, want to break it somehow, but it's really it's hard, hard to, break. to break. I've tried building it. It's, yeah. it's hard to break. Let's say you, you decide you're going to build that. You want the Satessan Champion back. Sure. Um, so you have to trade for it or buy it somewhere. Well, in my opinion, there are two camps that you can fall into here. If it's a high-value card, so you said Satessan Champion is worth a few dollars, mm-hmm. you've probably recouped the cost of that right you've either sold it to someone or, or you traded, traded it. for it yeah. so like you're probably net zero ish on that card it might have changed price a little bit but you're roughly where you were so you, what you're saying in that situation is you never go down on the value of your collection because you either got physical money for it yeah. and got re- compensated for it or you traded it and you got like a, a card that's in one of your decks now and is playing so you've got the value of having that card yeah like the value for the, the, the actual monetary value yeah you've gotten card. something out of it yeah basically. sure I, I won't say you're always net zero money because you can trade a card and then it goes up in price that can happen i definitely. have for example i traded you a borderless jessica's will oh for those... like five bucks yeah it's like forty dollars now or something yeah yep still feel bad about that <laughs> yeah so you you feel bad yeah. about that yeah <laughs> Imagine how I feel. <laughs> but look, if you, uh, speaking of burdens, thinking about the financial value of doing trading in Magic the Gathering, that is the the worst the mental biggest burden, burden you yeah, could possibly sure. carry. So that's you should, should drop that right now anyway. Um, so that's, that's one of the camps, right? It was mm-hmm. high value. You traded it. You got some money out of it. If it's any other card, it's probably worth a dollar or less. So maybe you lost a dollar. But think about... In the context of losing that dollar, how much mental energy and time you will have gained in return yeah. by having a much smaller collection of cards. Yeah, I would argue, and we'll, we will go into what you can do with the cards that you are going to get we rid will. of we later. We will, we definitely will, yeah. But I would argue that my mental health is worth more than... Uh, 25 cent you're already dead absolutely <laughs> yeah, <it is>. like <laughs> and also um like you know most countries have minif- minimum wages right yes even imagine like you probably have a wage somewhere if you work right you know what you get paid now even imagine it like minimum wage building a deck try to just imagine for a second like you're being paid minimum wage for it um 
Hold on, this is a bad analogy. Because <laughs> <I was gonna laughs> be... then you'd want, the, you'd want the deck to take as long as possible to make yeah. the most money. No, it's more like, you know, imagine how many hours you're spending going through I your, you're saying, your collection and how much money that would mean in terms of your wages. I'm not saying, you know, go work instead. I'm mm. saying, like, think of your time as being really valuable to you because it is. That's why they pay you for the amount of time you I'm, spend doing I mean, something. the expression of time is money. It yeah. 100% is. And especially for, you know, people in my situation that work full time and have yes. a lot of other hobbies and duties like you know between working full time writing for this podcast doing the admin for this podcast and recording there's not much time that i have in between that so yeah. i would like for my time that i dedicate to commander and we discussed this on the burnout episode mm. go into the playing the game aspect yeah. of, of commander because that's the bit i enjoy most mm. so when i get around to tinkering with decks or building a new one i would like the least amount of time yeah. to be spent on that and that's that's just for me personally, and I know mm. that there are a lot of other people that listen to us that are in that exact same boat. Definitely. Well, even if, if like, someone like me, I love building decks, and that's actually, if I have free time in a week and I can set aside some to building a deck, that's actually exciting for me. Yeah. But wouldn't you rather use that time and really, truly enjoy it by not having to agonize over how many boxes you have to go through to find cards? Like, wouldn't you rather yeah. get to the fun bit of laying out the deck and going, oh, maybe this works? And then noticing the combo or tagging yeah. them in Moxfield and going, oh, I have the perfect amount of card draw yes. in this deck now. Like exactly, that's the that's the stuff you're looking for, really. All right, okay, I'm more on board now. I'm okay, like, cool. I'm getting I'm getting in there. Good. Um, I have one more little minor soapbox bit before we get to the practical stuff. Sure. Um, I play a lot of pauper, as you know. I mm -hmm. have many pauper decks. I've watched a lot of pauper gameplay. Uh, you out there with the huge collection of cards, most of your commons suck. <laughs> They are terrible. I was drinking water. I'm sorry. Right? <laughs> that was so brutal. I, we've talked about this before. Packs are, in general, designed for limited, right? They, yes. they can't make common cards busted all the time, or all limited formats would suck. If you yeah, could, draft if you could would draft, be a terrible environment. Yeah, if, if you could draft four copies of the best card in the set every time, because it was a common, that would be a bad limited environment. So yes. they don't make cards like that. And I guarantee, if, if, as someone who plays a lot of pauper, if I was looking at, you know, your huge collection of cards, someone out there, you've got this huge box of cards and you've got all these commons, I'm telling you, 5% or less of those pauper cards are playable at all. Like, playable. Not even good. 5% or less of those cards are even playable in pauper. The mm. rest of them are dregs and would not even make it to the cut of a pauper deck. Yeah, it was interesting. We were actually talking about this, like, literally the other night. Um, we were, like, looking at the new March of the Machine set and looking yeah. at the new commons from the set that are going to be playable in pauper. And it's interesting. There are two cards that jumped out to us immediately. One is a functional reprint of Reckless Impulse. Yep, so exile top two cards in the library. You may play them until the end of your next turn. The other is a functional reprint of You Are Already Dead. Yeah, there's the instant speed, destroy a creature that was dealt damage, this turn draw a card. Yeah, and so those are the two cards that jumped out at us. Every other card that we were discussing, we had very, like, wavered opinions on. We're like, mm. Mm, this could be played, but this is just objectively better in yeah. pop already. Or this, this like kind of does what you want to do but mm. isn't good enough at the rate and yeah. so like this is like a march of the machine specifically is a huge set with like so many new cards and we're going to so many different planes there's so many mechanics it's a big anticipated set mm. but there are two cards that are 100% playable in pauper from that mm. and they are functional reprints yeah there was i would add like one card there's been one card i've seen in the whole pauper season which is the convoke 
um, draw a card. Oh, the blue ones? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like pretty strong. Speed. Yeah. In control, like, fairy sort of decks that might be playable. But that's literally, yeah. that's three. That's yep. three cards in the whole set that it, that might even break it into the, the main top decks. And so. even, like, yeah, throughout the entire last year's worth of Pauper, there mm. has been, like, a couple of cards. It's basically just been initiative. Cards. Initiative has yeah. kind of broken a lot of formats, including Pauper, but yep. aside from that, there's been very little change to the top And that decks. was a whole new mechanic needed to be made for a common yeah. card to be good. So I hope that gives you a bit of indication that, like, yeah, even though you've got a lot of them and you're like, oh, maybe this can sit in a deck, it probably doesn't in Commander. No. I'm sorry. It's not good enough for Commander. No, it, it probably is not. Um, so look, if you are getting rid of cards, and I'd like you to, that's what I'm asking you to do, get rid of some of your cards, um, you should see if someone else wants them first. So you could offer them to a friend who's new to Magic, who might yeah. just want to have a few, bit more cards in their collection. I would actually prefer, if you can, to donate them to an LGS, so they're just like part of that sort of bulk box. You never know, someone might be chasing a particular common Well, because then, then, then that friend can go to that LGS yeah. and sort through the chaff and get the cards that they need instead of just being like here's my hamney down clothes enjoy well the other, they stink <laughs> the, the thing is is that like new players don't understand what makes a card really good as well so yeah. they get all these cards and go like oh my god i can, I can build so many decks out of these and it's yeah. like it's almost you're actually like kind of declining their overall ability to play commander by giving them so many bad cards because they're yeah. going to get a bad idea about what the format is like 100 um you can also do a few people at our lgs have um started little dollar boxes that they i bring love in. this trend so this happened. is really Really cool. So they've actually specifically looked up the value of the card and found anything that's worth like two or three dollars. And then they have a big box of cards and they say every single card in this box is worth one dollar. Like you can get get it off me by transferring me one dollar or giving me a dollar in cash or whatever. Um, and it's great. Like there'll be staples in there. There'll be cards yeah. like weird rares you're looking for in your deck. Honestly, these dollar boxes have been like really surprising because they are like the. I reckon the two to three Australian dollars worth of value of Magic: The Gathering card. Every time a card sits in that value slot, it's like okay and playable mm. in the right deck. Yeah. So when you're looking at it in your own collection, you're like, I don't have a deck that this goes for. It's no. like, even though it's two to three dollars, I can't get rid of it because it's two to three dollars. Yeah. I could be like, you know, but if you put it in a dollar box, then you go to the game store. I've had this happen before where I've been flicking through someone's dollar box and I found a ridiculously weird multicolored card that goes perfectly in one of my decks. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm like... I've never thought about I've never even seen this card this is mm. so cool here's a dollar let me take it and go on there's a three dollar card that I had no idea existed from Khan's Attack here yeah. and now I've got it great way to recoup a little bit of your costs there for sure um, also worth noting that uh, some people out there will buy foils in bulk any foil card mm. um, the reason they do that is because they actually will remove all of the ink from the card uh, and then they can actually use that as like sort of a blank slate for drawing tokens or just various illustrations yeah. because now it will be shiny behind so basically when you strip the ink off at a foiled magic card it's just like a shiny like, piece of like a cardboard. shiny mirror yeah. basically on I, the cardboard i actually had one of my friends um and one of our local judges violet um she basically edited she got a foil card drenched it in this like paint remover and then hand painted a curiosity for me oh uh, yeah on the card so i now have like this. a really cool like altar that's foily it's yeah really cool. that's really fun it also has the added benefit of being um sustainable you know you're not yeah. not wasting resources speaking of sustainable sustainability hey um we need to make sure that whatever strategies we're implementing and this is across the whole episode we talked about so far whatever yeah. strategy we pick for sorting our deck 
it needs to be sustainable for you. So it needs to be like something you can continue to do without it feeling like this huge mental drain on you or like you have to devote hours and hours of doing stuff because that's what we're trying to avoid. Yeah, right? well, because like, yeah, if you don't, if you set up a system that requires you to do like two hours a week of organizing, then you're going to spend two hours a week of organizing or you end up in the exact same spot you were before like me where there's a huge card pile on your desk and you're like, damn it, now I need to do seven hours worth of organizing instead yeah. of two. So this is the kind of equivalent of do something a little, a lot, then you won't have to do something a lot, a lot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> basically. Um, and this is the part where it sort of ties into a little bit of my real world philosophy with organizing things. Uh, there's a, a fantastic saying, um, a place for everything and everything in its place. Mm, uh, like and this is basically how I keep my collection of cards. So when I get home from the game store and I have cards from a pre-release or a draft or whatever, I immediately sort them straight into my boxes so that I don't start developing this big pile of cards that, yeah. that I have, um, have to be organizing. Uh, and this is exactly how I organize my house. My house, people come over and they're like, oh my God, well, you must spend hours and hours cleaning this, to make it look like this because everything's sort of really neatly tidied in a way. It is meticulously clean. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I I clean really, really rarely in terms of like putting on the the gloves and getting the vacuum cleaner out, like, a, you mm. know, a proper like clean. I do that probably every fortnight. Yeah. Um, and the rest of the time, I'm just doing really simple things like having a spot for my keys, my wallet, like all my important stuff. Yeah. As soon as I get home, I put everything back in its place. Uh, and likewise for like using things in the kitchen, I just like wipe them when I'm done. Like yeah. literally 30 seconds or something. But it means that I don't have to do this thing of sitting down and agonizing over it, which is exactly the same as with the cards. Like, I mean, even the top chefs will say clean as you go. Yeah. Like, while something's on a simmer, take the other pots and pans that you've been cooking with and wash them in the sink now. Because then once you've cooked dinner and you've eaten dinner, you don't have to wash up. Yeah. And I actually find I'm similar to you. I try and keep things organized. But when we revert it back to cards... I currently now have a big pile of cards and I say it's big. It's probably no more than I'm going to say 300 cards. It's probably no bigger than 300 cards. Right. The way I used to do it, and this is probably testament to the fact that I've just moved into a new place and not had much time. Sure. I used to have a small box that was probably like a, like a deck box kind of size. So maybe like a hundred cards. Sure. And I would have a rule. I used to have this as a rule where, where that box, when that box fills up, that's when I have to do it. Oh. So I never did it immediately because I know I'm not as disciplined as you, for sure. Like, you get home and you're very disciplined. You put your coat on the thing, you put your wallet and yeah, your key ball, you do, do this and that and the other. I do that with, like, keys and wallet and stuff. But, like, with Magic, when I get home from the game store, I'm usually very tired and just want to go to sleep, whatever. Totally fair. I have a box on my desk that is now overflowed, but I used to, and I think after this episode, I'm going to go home and clean. But <laughs> I, it would be a rule that when that box would fill up, that's when I had to mm. do the organization. And honestly, like that card the box with like 100 plus cards in it, like maybe 120 was most. It would take me no time at all. Yep. With the organization system that I had, 120 cards would be in away and in boxes like that. And most of them would not even make the cut. As wow. I would be organizing, I'd just be like, right, that's a dead pile. That's a dead card, dead card, dead card. Right, I'm keeping this. So usually I'd only put away and organize like 30 cards. Mm. But the other 160, gone. Yeah. You know, Beautiful. I love that. Um, well, yeah, I, I can tell you that the, the, the sort of conclusion of all of these different techniques is that um, I have four small boxes 
of cards, and I mean small, like in terms of those. When you buy Card Kingdom, that's what the boxes come in. Yeah, like, the boxes yeah. come in these this sort of like if you can imagine those those long boxes you see all the time. These are about half that that size, yeah. maybe a little bit shorter. I have four of those that have all the cards that I don't own. That um, so aside from cards in decks. All the cards that I own are in those four small boxes. Yeah. And it's great. You and you have a binder. You have a binder. And I do have a binder. Yeah. I do have a binder. I do have a binder for trades and expensive cards and that kind of thing. So, all Magic players should have well-reasoned processes for the storing of their cards to ensure that trading and deck building can be done easily and without stress. Any system can work for this goal, but some systems are much more logical and sustainable. Do not let your cards become a burden. Take actions now to ensure that your collection is organized and lean. So, Space Commanders. Command received. Okay. Feeling good after this one. I've been um, in a bit of a like a limbo with life recently. I've been working a lot and working really, really hard. But over this Easter break, I'm taking a week off. Nice. Um, I reckon that pile of cards is going to be gone by the end of this oh, week. Love that. Well, to you listeners out there, do you feel commanded? How do you organize your collection? And will you be changing any of your techniques or your methods now that we've asked you? And I'm really keen. I asked in the first half of this episode how collectors organize their collection. Yeah. I know that there are a lot lot of people out there and a lot of i'm thinking of some of our listeners that i've had a chat to on our discord before i'm really curious you have like huge binders and lots and lots of stuff how do you organize it? i know some people organize by the actual code for the card like the set number and I the card number do a bit of research for this episode and there's a, a a great um command zone episode which is linked in the show notes for this one because i i did um have a really good listen to it but yeah there was someone who, who went by the set code that is insane and you've got to be dedicated to f- follow that there was some pretty hefty cons i will say yeah. immediately from having watched that episode it depends a whole lot on how much of a collector you are i would say well if you wanted to talk to us about this episode or about any of our episodes you can send us an email you can add us on twitter or the best way to talk to us is actually joining our discord and chat with us and other members of our play group um it is a really active discord each yeah. episode gets a good chunk of discussion now and for our patrons they have a private stream that they can jump into and chat directly with walt and i speaking of don't forget to check out our patreon page which is linked in the show notes uh for more ways to support the get commanded podcast directly it's really the best way to uh, support the things that we do mm. uh, and help us to make more amazing content. Lots of little goals that we've um, outlined towards the bottom of that page. So yeah. have a look at those for sure. Uh, we would like to personally thank Fletcher Cutting for supporting us in the Space Commander tier. You're the best, Fletcher. You are absolutely the best. And yeah, with the with the money that we get from Patreon, we're dedicating it to this podcast. So you really are supporting the content that you love. We're dedicated to making our stuff better and finding more ways to do it. So you know it's going to a good place because you're going to be listening to us. And we'd like to very much much thank and quite on the nose for this episode a big thanks to palms off gaming for sponsoring this podcast yeah Um, these guys are incredible place to go if you're wanting to organize your collection definitely if you're looking for binders deck boxes sleeves they Mm. are they're very much a collector's kind of hub for sure if you have really expensive cards they have like a top loader binder yeah so you can have your top loaded cards that are in like perspex cases in a binder definitely if you're looking at uh blink out your binder in any capacity that's going to be the best place to go to check out for, for sure. all that so you can um you can see them at palmsoffgaming.com.au so as is tradition 
Uh, all that's out of the way. Mm-hmm. We do need to planeswalk out of magic it's and into way. somewhere else, and it's your turn. So yes. where, where are we planeswalking to this week? I'm very keen to planeswalk here. It's it's still nerdy, still high fantasy, like is Magic the Gathering, but we're going to the plane of Hyrule. Oh, the, the world of Zelda. Yes, and Link and all the Gorons and mm. the... the um, Ganondorf. The, yeah, and... the Rito. The, uh, there's so many cool... Um, races and things to find in Hyrule, but I specifically want to go to Hyrule because I want to talk about the upcoming sequel to one of my favorite Switch games of all time, Breath of the Wild. Oh, yeah. Tears of the Kingdom. I, I've, you literally just mentioned this to me before that this is coming yeah. out soon. I had no idea. Breath of the Wild is still selling for like $90 a piece because it's considered Worth it. an absolute masterpiece of a game still. It's brilliant. So... It, and from looking looking at the trailer, it looks like it's very much a it is sequel a sequel, hundred percent. Like I think if if you've been playing like Legend of Zelda games for a period of time, each game has kind of had its own twist of like um, kind of stylization mm. and thematics and kind of yeah, the vibe of each game is really really different. Yeah. Um, like for example, um, you know, Majora's Mask was like really different to Ocarina of Time, mm. and you know, like each game has been very different. Breath of the Wild found this beautiful slot in the Hyrule lore that it can just be like anything you want it to be Mm. and i think it's gorgeous i've recently been replaying breath of the wild to get ready for new tears of kingdom game coming out yeah and i've lost myself in the game again Mm. i just found out recently that what there's this enemy called the choo-choo it's like a jelly blob thing that can attack you okay and when you kill them you get the choo-choo jelly now usually the choo-choo jelly you can just use for like um like potions you can use it to trade and get rupees for it and all this kind of stuff right okay i just found out recently that if you kill a choo-choo with fire when it dies it becomes red choo-choo jelly okay and then you can use the choo-choo jelly you have to go into like your items and then you have to specifically find the red choo-choo jelly click hold and when you go back into the game if you throw the red choo-choo jelly and then hit it with an arrow it explodes like a bomb (gasps) And it's like this hidden thing that the game doesn't tell you about yeah. at all. Like, there's no point in the tutorial. Realistically, there's not a big tutorial in Breath of the Wild. No, it's very, it, from what I've watched, because I've only ever watched it played, I've been meaning to play it for years, and I'm definitely going to get to it really soon, because um, me and my partner just bought a Switch. Yeah, so nice. It's, it's on the horizon. Good investment. Um, the thing that really appealed to me was that watching people play it, it's very much like, decide how you'd like to play, and yeah. then there are so many, like, specific, you know, micro-branches of combat and... I know. It's gameplay insane. and movement that you can choose and you can play basically however you want it's so cool like i just found out that whole thing with the choo-choo jelly but now i've just found out i was watching a bunch because i was getting so excited for the tears of the kingdom coming out i went and looked at the recent gameplay that they launched like gameplay footage and there's this new mechanic called fuse in the Ooh. game you can basically fuse two items together and it gives you this weird effect so, you can fuse red choo-choo jelly to an arrow and make a bomb arrow. That's fun. <laughs> it's really cool. I it's, love that. I, I love the how the game looks. The stylization of Tears of the Kingdom is very similar to Breath of the Wild. And it admit, looks like the same art style and everything. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people are upset about it because they're like, oh, the graphics haven't been updated. But, like, it's really charming. Like, it, yeah. the, it's beautifully drawn. It looks, like beautiful like the amount and it's impressive the switch can load that graphic really easily so Mm. like you can see the entire world like it's all rendered for you you can zoom in miles and miles and miles away and it's all rendered 
It's just a really beautiful game. Yeah. I'm so excited for the new one to come out. Oh, definitely. I'm, I'm excited to play the first one now. <laughs> you yeah, got me, well, got me hyped. I would be very happy to like walk you through the first little bit and show you like all the tips and oh, tricks. No, I got I got to check myself in the deep end. Do I it gotta, all Yeah, I want to. I want to work it all out as I go along. I have to admit, it get is get halfway very through fun. the game and then check in with you and be like, all right, what am I missing? <laughs> what am I missing? Have you learned how to cook yet? Yeah, you oh, can yes. cook. The like cooking, it, I'm aware of. Yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, it's a really really fun game. There's so much that you like find out halfway through that you're like no one told me yeah. that you could do this and now Good i games can do, do it do that don't yeah they? yeah all right that's about all we have time for folks so we'll catch you next week for more get commanded fun goodbye commander players